Can you believe that we are almost done with 2021? Like, if maybe it feels like to you, like I've heard somebody use this uh, statement one time. They said, where it feels like the days are long, but the years are short. Uh, In some parts of this year, it has felt like 2021 would never be done. But then when I look back over the year, I can't believe that we're already to the end of another year. Now, I know a lot of you guys have given up on the whole New Year's resolution idea. This time of year, it does get you thinking, if you can kind of get out of the daily grind. And I know we've got students that are finishing up last week of classes, and they've got exams coming up. So maybe, you know, over break, you'll start thinking about these things. But but we start thinking about what we want next year to look like at some levels. Like I said, some of you guys, you don't do the New Year's resolutions, but some of you do. You know, the gyms will get full again. The other thing that will happen on January 1st is a lot of you will start a Bible reading plan. Uh, you'll maybe a plan to read through the New Testament in a year or to read through the entire Bible in a year or, or something like that. And, and so can I just go ahead and tell you, um, maybe that's not the best idea. Now, we started off the sermon saying, or the service saying that we are a people who uh, value the expository preaching of God's word. We talked about the Puritans and their desire to make sure that not only were the pastors reading the Bible, but that every member was reading the Bible. So, so am I encouraging you not to read your Bible in 2022? Well, y'all know me well enough to know that, right? Here's what I'm going to say, though. I want to encourage you not to just do a Bible reading plan next year. I want to encourage you to do what Jesus is going to tell us to do in this passage, and that is to remain in his word, okay? In fact, if you catch nothing else out of this morning's message, that's what I, I want you to do. I want you to remain in God's word. Now, that's different than just doing a Bible reading plan because some of us, we, if you are like me, I like checking off boxes on my to-do list. Like that brings me joy of if I sit down and I've got, you know, 10 things that I need to get done today, I get excited when I start checking those off, right? And for some of us, we've been doing a through the Bible in a year plan or some kind of other reading plan, reading along with our favorite pastor on TV, or maybe even you're using the reading plan that we gave you here uh, when we started the Gospel of John. There's some out on the table there that gives you a reading every Tuesday and Thursday that's walking us through the Gospel of John together. And here's what happens. I like to do that in the morning a lot of times. So I'll get up and I'll sit down and I'll read my Bible and I'll even make a few notes about one of the verses that jumped out at me. And then I, I don't know if you guys have ever been around a family with kids trying to get ready to go off to school, but it's anything but peaceful. So as soon as the kids get up and, and we start getting ready for school, it's, have you packed your lunch? Okay, all right, have you gotten your shoes on? Why have you still not packed your lunch? I just You were standing in the kitchen looking at your lunchbox. Why is it still empty? And, and you still don't have socks on. And so before too much longer, I have no idea what I read, right? But hey, I checked off the box, right? I, I, I read my Bible. I, I did that. Guys, that's not remaining in his word. And if I could challenge you to do anything in 2022, if I could challenge you starting today to make any change, it would be if you're not already doing this, I want you to remain in God's word. In fact, I think that it would be the single most important decision you could make for the year to come. I think remaining in God's word would be one of the greatest determining factors of how next year goes for you, or at least how you handle whatever happens next year. 
I've told you guys before, following Jesus isn't going to make your life easier. However, as you're spending time in God's Word, as you're remaining in it, we'll talk about what that looks like today. As you're remaining in God's Word, you'll find strength to be able to handle whatever comes your way. You'll have wisdom to know what decisions you need to be making. You'll have peace in the midst of everything else falling apart because you're remaining in His Word. Now, before we can talk about what Jesus explains here that remaining in His Word means... We'll have to talk about what it's not. But first, let's go ahead and read the passage so that way we can understand what I'm even talking about, okay? Starting in John chapter 8. By the way, John chapter 8 is fantastic. There's about six different messages in here. We're going to just focus on six verses this morning. We're going to start in verse 30, okay? As Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We're descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Verse 34, Jesus responded, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Then jump down to verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. So how will we be free in 2022? How is it that you and I can walk in joy and in hope and in peace in 2022? It's by remaining in his word. Well, we're going to talk about three different things that that means, going back up to the verses we've already read. But before we do, let's talk about what that doesn't mean. Remaining in his word is more than simply knowing what the Bible says. If you've been with us through our series through John, you've known we keep running into these guys, the Pharisees and the scribes. They were the guys who knew the Bible better than anybody else. They knew exactly what it said. They had it memorized. They would actually wear different uh, portions of Scripture in a little box on their forehead, okay? They were, they were all about knowing the Bible. As we've seen throughout the year, we've seen that these guys may have known lots of Scripture, but they weren't following Jesus. In fact, the very Word of God was standing in front of them in the person of Jesus as God in the flesh, and they were fighting against him. So it's not just about knowing the facts of the Bible. In fact, it also has to be more than that because when Jesus is saying this, his words hadn't even been written down as Scripture yet. As he's talking about remaining in his word or continuing in his word, remember that the New Testament hadn't been written. He was literally speaking those things at that point. So remaining in his word must be more than just knowing the Bible because there's a lot of people who know the Bible whose lives haven't been changed. Now, on the flip side, though, it can't be less than knowing what the Bible said because now his teachings and his actions are recorded for us and further explained in the Bible that we have in front of us. So remaining in his word, it has to mean that we do know what it says and doesn't say. So it's, it's, you've got to avoid both extremes. By the way, what does this look like in our culture? How many of you have ever heard a, a media personality or a politician or somebody who they've stood up and, and they've tried to make you know, a point about whatever it is that they're trying to get you to vote to do or whatever, and they use a Bible verse and they use it completely out of context. Or they say, well, you know, this is the kind of thing that Jesus would have done. And they actually don't have any basis in God's word to be able to, to back that up. Have you ever seen that? Well, we may not be politicians, by the way, but we do it too, right? Sometimes you'll hear somebody say, well, you know, my God doesn't do that. My, my God wouldn't be like that. That's the opposite side of this. We can't remain in his word if we don't know what it says. 
Okay? So it's not just enough to say, well, I don't think Jesus would have done that. It doesn't look like what Jesus would do because you kind of have this nebulous idea of who Jesus is. So it's not just knowing the Bible, but it's also not disregarding what the Bible says. So what does it mean to remain in his word? Jesus has given us three different statements here that I want to kind of work back. If you go to verse 31, he says, if you continue in my word, and this is where we get that idea of remain. It's the same. We'll see other places that like abide, remain, dwell. It has the idea of, of setting up your life, parking on, just camping out on this. So if you continue in my word, he says, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So based off of those three things, he said, these will be true if you're remaining in my word. So we're going to verse that. And say then, remaining in his word means we're going to show that we're his disciples, we're going to hold fast to what's true, and we're going to walk in freedom, okay? So let's try to explain those a little bit. So first thing that we're going to see is we look at what it means for us to be able to remain in his word. If you're remaining in his word in 2022, then you are going to, number one, show that you are his disciple. You're going to show that you are his disciple. If we're remaining in his word, then we're demonstrating that we really are his. Remember that that word disciple is somebody who is a learner. By the way, this is a term that we haven't used as much as we need to, and you'll be hearing a lot more in the year to come. We believe that the goal of what God's called us to do as a church, as we say that our goal is love, is that we would be fully-fledged disciples of Christ who are discipling other people as well, okay? So what that means is as a disciple, you're a learner. A disciple sits underneath a teacher, and they learn everything that that teacher has to tell them. Now, in those days, this wasn't just learning the external concepts of the subject they're covering, but actually taking on their identity as much as possible. If you were a disciple, you weren't just learning the, the facts of what they taught. You know, they taught you algebra, or they taught you leadership, or whatever it was. You were actually modeling yourself after them. You would dress like them. You would talk like them. You would go where they go, and you would try as best as you could to just absorb everything about them. So as we talk about becoming a disciple of Christ, then our goal and God's goal for you is that you would look like Jesus, So if you're going to remain in his word, then that means that that's how this is going to play out. God's goal is that you and I would be disciples of Jesus, that we would think, that we would talk, and we would act like Jesus and teach others to do the same. In fact, that's what God gave the goal of of the church as. In Ephesians chapter 4, he articulates this. He's talking about God. He says, and he himself, God, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. That's me, by the way. um, To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Now, those are kind of big words, so let's think about it for a second. What is he telling us that God's goal is for us? God gave folks like me to the church to help equip the saints, which is you guys. Some of you may be from a tradition where only really, 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 really godly people got to be called saints, but the Bible says that anybody who has been saved is a saint, okay? So that means that if you have a relationship with God based off what Jesus has done, then you are as much a saint as anybody else. So my role as your pastor is to equip the saints to be able to do the work of the ministry. What's that going to look like? That means that we're all going to reach this, the goal of maturity that looks like Jesus. If you think about it like a growth chart, okay? Our goal is that as you grow, as you follow Jesus, is that you would reach the same level that Jesus reached. Does that make sense? 
So the goal of the church, the goal of what God's doing in your life is that you would be a fully-fledged disciple of Christ. That also means that you don't get to measure your walk with God off of how somebody else is doing. Well, at least, I mean, I know I read my Bible more than that guy. Surely I give more than she does. I mean, I, I serve on three more teams than that person does. That doesn't, that's not how we measure the fullness. We're measuring our Christian walk based off of Jesus. Now, none of us are going to get there. None of us are going to reach that in, in this life, but that doesn't mean that we don't strive to get as close as we can. God's goal is to conform you into the image of his son. So if we remain in his word, we're moving toward that goal. That means it's going to have to show in the way that we live. When I learn something that God tells me out of the Bible, it has to impact something in my life. There's got to be something that changes. James, Jesus' half-brother, talks about this very issue. In James chapter 1, he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. That's me, by the way. Like, I look at my face, and I, I may have something on it, and I'll walk away and f- completely forget about it. That's just not me. He said, that's what happens when you look at, your, look at the Bible. You go away, the one who looks hently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. Now, the works aren't what saves us. We've said this over and over and over again, but if this is your first time with us, you are saved by putting your faith and trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord through his death, burial, and resurrection. You are not saved by being really good. However, if God has given you the gift of eternal life, if you've been saved, then that has to look different. We've used the illustration before of if I told you I was late to church this morning because as I was walking down Roanoke Street, I got hit by a semi-truck. If I look like this, you're going to say you're delusional. Because if I said I got hit by a semi-truck, something about me ought to look different, right? If I come into contact with something that big and that powerful and I still look totally put together, then I'm lying. If I've come into contact with the God of the universe who has taken me from being spiritually dead and made me alive, then that has to look different. Now, let's do a little pop quiz. I know that not everybody has been with us through our whole series through John, but a lot of you guys have been here for most of the Sundays. We've been talking about the Gospel of John since September the 12th, taking a couple of breaks here and there. But over the last three months, let me ask you, what is different about the way you live because of what you've heard from the Gospel of John? I had to go back and pull some of the uh, application points from some of our messages. Are you a stronger voice who points people to Jesus like John the Baptist did? Are you following Jesus more and following the world less? Do you have certainty beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know that you've been born again by believing in Jesus? Are you drinking deeply from the living water that Jesus gives, or are you still trying to find satisfaction in other places? Are Are you seeing him give you the strength to move past sinful habits and painful experiences? 
Do you want to be made well like that paralyzed man? Or do you want to just kind of keep going with what you've got? Is your life overflowing with the fruit of the Holy Spirit? That gets to the very point of this, doesn't it? Is your life overflowing with him? Does it show? Are you willing to show concern and not just condemnation like we talked about last week? Guys, what's different for you having sat here for 40 minutes every Sunday and hear me yell at you for a while? I mean, seriously, I had to ask myself the the same question because it's not enough for me just to stand up here and say, y'all ought to do this if I'm not doing it. What's changed in your heart in the last three months? I'm about to finish up another year of, of reading my Bible through in a year. I've got, you know, the rest of this month to finish it off. Can I look at that and say that I am different because of it? Or has it just been checking the box? That's not remaining in his word. That's being a forgetful hearer, not an effective doer. He said, if you're remaining in my word, it's going to show as you're my disciple. His claim on my life should show. So just based off this first one, are you remaining in his word? Are you demonstrating and growing ways that you're not who you used to be, that Jesus is in charge of your life. Now, none of us are going to do it perfectly. We're all going to have seasons where, just like you know, kids, they sit there, and we've joked about how kids, as they grow, they do that inchworm thing where they kind of get kind of chubby for a little bit, and then all of a sudden they shoot up like six inches, and then it happens again a couple of times as they're growing, right? Maybe you're in one of the chubby stages. I don't know. But is there growth in you? Is there change in you? Because Jesus said, if you remain in my word, you'll show that you're my disciple. So how are you doing on that? What needs to change? Now, there's a second part of remaining in his word. Not only are we going to show that we're his disciple, we're also going to hold on to what's true. We're going to hold on to what's real. Jesus said, if you're remaining in his word, you'll show that you're my disciple and you will know the truth. Now, that statement is offensive in our culture today. For me to stand up and say that there is such a thing as the truth, it's going to get some reaction because some folks are going to say, well, you know what? That's your truth. I'm, I'm so glad that you've, you've been able to sort out your truth and, and that you're following Jesus and that, that's what works for you, but, but that's not my truth. Guys, can, I, can we just establish that that doesn't work? It just doesn't work that way. And by the way, you, you may not be at that point where you say, well, you know, well, I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm following Jesus, but I, I don't want to push my truth off onto somebody else. I appreciate your sensitivity, and I'm not trying to ridicule anybody in this. I just want you to see, though, truth by its very nature can't work that way. You can't have your own truth, and I have my truth. Let's take it out of the realm of morality and spirituality for a second. Let's just make it real practical. After this service, I will be leaving to go to the Virginia Tech airport, where I will climb in my private jet, and I will be flying to Fiji for the remainder of my days. I will be spending my days on the beach, on my private island, or in my $26 million yacht. That's my truth. Now, it's absurd, isn't it? Okay, if anybody doesn't know me yet, 
my bank account doesn't have nearly that many zeros. I've never flown anything but coach, okay? I've never been to Fiji. I just know it's the farthest you can go from here before you start coming back for those fans of the Truman Show, right? If I said that, you would say either Sean's been lying to us this entire time and we definitely don't need to pass that budget like we were looking at next week, or Sean is delusional. He's having a break with reality. He's either lying now or he's been lying or he really needs some help because there's something mentally wrong. It's just not true. I don't have a private island in Fiji. I don't have a yacht. I don't have a single million, much less enough to buy a $26 million yacht, right? If you would sit there and say, well, that's crazy. Of course, you, you can't just go to the tech airport and take a plane and say it's yours. Why? Because the truth is, none of that is mine. So we see it when it comes to stuff like that, when we talk about physical things like money and things like that. So if it's that simple where you can't just say, this is your truth and this is my truth when it comes to, well, I think I've got a billion dollars in the bank. Well, that doesn't work that way. In the same kind of way, you and I can't just say that, that it's my truth, that I'll follow what I think will get me to heaven, and you just follow Jesus if that's what works for you, but I, I'm just working and living out my truth and trying to be a good person. Guys, that doesn't work off of what the Bible teaches us. Jesus said that you will know the truth. Now, I have days where I may be wrong about the truth. I I may have days where I'm confused or I'm not adequately living out what's true, but the reality is there is only one truth. Now, as we understand that then, what's the truth that we're talking about here? Well, the truth is revealed in the person of Jesus who says in John 14, 6, which won't be on the screen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, he is what's true and what's real. I don't want to sound all tinfoil hat or conspiracy theory-y here. It's not what we're talking about. But like, do you realize that when you read the Bible, when you read God's word, this is real. As Bluey says, this is for real life. There really is a God who created the world. He sustains it all. He created you to know him. The purpose of your life is to bring him honor and glory. And you and I as humans, we've chosen to do what we want instead of what God wants. So that means every single person is born bent towards doing their own thing and not honoring God. Every single person, this Bible tells me, is born dead in their trespasses and sins and needs a Savior. And that's what we're celebrating at Christmas is that God loved us so much that he would come into the world he had made that we broke and that he would bring his own son into the world so that we could be saved, so that he could take our brokenness and die in our place. This is what's real. This is not what somebody says on Fox News or on CNN or on about why somebody's doing things. You know, you know why the weather is what the weather is? Because of sin. 
Now, I'm not saying because you sinned or because we endorsed this sin. I'm saying because we live in a world that is ravaged by the effects of sin, and there was a curse that came down on the world. Now, that means that God allowed us to have the ability to steward the resources that God's given us, and we need to be wise in the way that we use the resources of the world that he's given us. But at the same time, we also need to understand that sickness and disease and death, it's all a part of sin, And that the only solution to that is that Jesus will one day come back and remove all of that from us and that those of us who follow him who are right now a part of the kingdom of God, that as we're living that out right now, we can get to experience tastes of that, little hints of that. Now, if you're watching us online or if you're here in person and you're not following Jesus, I know this sounds insane. Some of you guys, you've grown up in the Bible Belt. You've been in church since you were negative nine months old. And so you've heard all of this. This just feels kind of normal for you. But the reality is most of the world doesn't think this is real. But if we're remaining in his word, we're holding on to the truth. We're holding on to the real. We know that there's a God out there. We also know that there's an enemy out there who wants to stop his plans from succeeding. Like, How often do you live your life with the recognition that, that God's actually in charge of the world, that Satan's for real, that, that you're going to one day stand literally in the presence of God? Like, There's a day that when I wake up, the next time I close my eyes, I'm going to be in God's presence for real. See, remaining in his word, we're going to live it out and show that we're his disciples, but we're also going to hold on to what's real. We're going to hold on to the truth. We're going to let it shape the way we look at life, the way we set our priorities, the way we use our resources, the way we spend our time. Not because of what some guy stood up and said on a Sunday morning, but because of what God has said in his word. So how are you holding on to the truth? What does this look like? Well, you know, you, you've got the, the days when the world seems completely out of control. You can stop and say, no, I, I know it's not. It sure feels like it. But God told me that he's in charge. So I'm going to trust that. And see, here's what happens. As you grow in your understanding of what's real, and you grow in your understanding of how God ordered the world and how God controls and how God sustains and how God loves and how God works in and through his people, as you grow in these things, then you see the third part, which is that you can walk in freedom. Walk in freedom. If you remain in my word, you'll be my disciples. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, this is one of those phrases that gets taken so wildly out of context. Universities will use this as a Bible verse to throw on stuff of, yes, we teach everybody, know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's not what he's talking about. What's he talking about when he talks about freedom here? You'll see it in a movie sometime. Somebody finally figures something out or they, they get high or something. They're like, yeah, brother, the truth will set you free, man. Right? You've seen it in a movie at some point. What's this mean? As you know the truth, as you find out that what is real, 
who God is, who he created you to be, as you surrender your life to him, then you get to walk in the freedom to be who you were made to be, who you were created to be. See, you weren't created to be enslaved to what you want. Think about it. Jesus goes on and he says, as he tells them that the truth will set them free, I love the crowd's response. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Okay, that's like the height of pride. For those who don't know the history here, the Jews in the Old Testament, for 400 years, they were enslaved in Egypt, literally slaves. Not only that, there were seasons throughout the the later part of the Old Testament all the way through up until this point where they were under Roman rule. They got carried off to Assyria and Babylonia. They weren't necessarily enslaved there, but they sure weren't free to do whatever they wanted. So we've never been enslaved to anybody. Yeah, that's just not true, okay? It's just not true. But in their pride, that's how they responded. Now, here's what just happened. Somebody in here, don't know who, said, they're dumb. They they didn't realize they'd ever been enslaved. But see, I'm not enslaved. I'm an American. I was born in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Or maybe it's not political. Maybe, yeah, you know, I was enslaved when I was younger, but financially I'm independent. (laughs) I'm an empty nester. There's nothing to tie me down. I'm a college student. I don't have all those responsibilities. I don't have a mortgage yet. I don't have, I'm ignoring the student loans. They don't exist yet. I don't have to pay those for another few years. I got nothing to tie me down. I can do whatever I want. I'm not enslaved to anyone. What did Jesus say in response? Jesus responded, truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. That means that you and I, apart from Christ, are slaves to sin. Slaves. Slaves don't get to choose what they want to do today. They they don't get to decide how they want to spend their time or how they want to use the resources in front of them. All of that's dictated to them. You say, well, Sean, I do whatever I want to do. You're right, you probably do. So why don't you try stopping? Tell the workaholic who says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my ship. He's got Invictus pointed, uh, you know, printed out and posted on the wall because he is the captain of his own fate. Tell that guy, stop working and see what happens. I, I can't do that. I, I, if, I, if I don't get to this level, then who am I? What am I even doing with my life? Tell the guy who's addicted to sex or to pornography, addicted to alcohol, Addicted to making sure that your kids look perfect wherever they go. Addicted to comfort. Addicted to thrive. Addicted to whatever it may be. The reality is, apart from Christ, every single one of us is enslaved to our own passions, our own desires, our own selfishness, trying to make something of ourselves. Inside every human heart, whether you ignore it or not, is somebody who's trying to say, I matter, I'm worth something. There's gotta be something about me. And however you wanna solve that to make yourself the king of your own little world, you're enslaved 
to sin. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, I'd encourage you, by the way, take some time this week. We don't have time to read it this morning, but take some time to read through Romans chapter 6 because it talks about this issue of being enslaved to sin. But what he tells us is when we come to Christ, we're no longer enslaved to sin, but now we're enslaved to God. Wait a second. I thought you said I was free. Guys, freedom doesn't mean freedom to be your own God. That's a miserable place to be. Freedom means free to be and to do what God made you to do the very thing you were created for. I mean, right now, the number of people going through existential quandaries about what am I supposed to do with the rest of my life, does my life even matter, it's astronomically high right now. Especially, guys, as I'm looking at a lot of our younger adults, you're hitting, they're calling it now the quarter-life crisis. What do I do now that I'm getting out of school? What do I do now that I've got this going on? What's next? How do I even move on from here? Some of you guys are in the middle of a midlife crisis or, or you're facing, facing that fourth quarter where you're like, you know what, I'm retiring. I, I know that I'm not gonna have my job anymore. I'm gonna start losing my health. I can't move like I used to. I don't know, who am I? When you know that there's a God who created you, who specifically created you, who loves you, who cares about you, who knows everything about you and is still there for you then what happens is you can be free to be whatever he calls you to do. You can do whatever he calls and you can do it with joy because this is what you were made for. There's no greater freedom than doing exactly what you were created to do. You were created to worship and to honor a God who is so loving and so majestic and so much more than you could ever begin to imagine that as you start to understand this truth, it sets you free. Because now, if today... If the question at the end of the service today during our question and answer time as we talk about the budget and stuff like that, if the question was, hey, you know, I don't think we want to pass this ministry investment plan. I think Sean's a terrible pastor. What does it take for us to fire him? And everybody says, well, let's vote for it, all in favor. And, you know, over two-thirds of the church says, all right, we don't want Sean to be our pastor anymore. You know, that'd be really hard for me because a lot of days I do identify myself with what I do and not who I am in Christ. But it wouldn't devastate me. You know why? Because even if that happened, there's still a God in heaven who loves me and cares for me and who shaped me and who called me. Even if I lost my health, I love, guys, it doesn't really look like it because I also like to eat, but I like working out, okay? I I really do. I like going to the gym. I like picking up heavy stuff. I like running sometimes. I I, I like being active. So what happened if on the way out, as I was pulling out here, I misjudged the closing speed of one of the cars, I got hit, and I got paralyzed from the waist down? That'd be really hard. There's no question that that would be some throw me for a major loop. But it doesn't change a thing about who I am because there's still a God in heaven who created me and who loved me and who shaped me and who formed me and who's walking with me every day and who one day I will stand in his presence. That's what it looks like to remain in his word. Now, it's true that there, there's kind of a, a one-time and then an ongoing experience of walking in freedom. 
See, the Bible says that you are enslaved to sin. So if you're here today and you're not following Jesus, you've never surrendered to him, then there is a point in time where you make that decision to say, you know what, I'm not going to act like that anymore. I'm not going to do things my way. I'm going to turn to following him. That's a one-time thing. But at the same time, there's also a daily process of growing to understand this, to walk in greater freedom. It's like how many of you have ever had to wear a cast or a brace after some kind of surgery or something like that? You, you know, you go through and, and it, maybe you, you wore a cast for like six weeks and the, the bones completely healed. But there's this process where you, you can't quite bend it because you're a little bit scared. It hurt really bad the last time you did that. And, and your muscles have kind of forgotten how to do that. Everything's fine. It's totally where it should be. Every, the bone is perfectly set. But there's this process of learning how to actually move again, of getting that range of motion back. That, that's what happens is when we come to Christ, he delivers us and frees us from sin. The bone is set, and it's healed. But then we spend the rest of our lives getting that range of motion back figuring out how this actually works, walking in greater freedom. Not to do whatever I want, although actually kind of. Because see, what happens is, as God starts shaping my heart, as I remain in his word, where I'm learning it, I'm growing in it, I'm obeying it. That's the big thing, guys. Not just know it, but do it. As I'm showing that more, you know what happens? I start wanting the thing that God wants. the, The desire for sin gets less and the desire to honor God gets stronger. So then as I know the truth, it sets me free and it gets to be a lot of fun to do what God tells you to do. Like one of my favorite things in the world is to go on international mission trips. I love taking the gospel to other parts of the world. When we're in Zimbabwe, we don't eat like I would eat here. We camp for like six nights We use an outhouse that is literally a hole in the ground. We shower in a camp shower for about a week. Now, a lot of you guys say, that is no fun to me at all. Now, part of it is I do like the outdoors, so there's part of that. I'll own that. But in between all of that, I'm getting to sit down with people who don't know who Jesus is. And I'm walking along this village, being able to share the gospel with people who've never really had a chance to hear it. There are some other Christians around, but most of these folks that we're talking to in Zimbabwe have never heard who Jesus is. Do you have any idea how much fun that is? There's a joy that comes from obeying Christ. Well, it's weird to talk to my neighbor about Jesus. Yeah, it is. But can you imagine the joy of not only knowing that you get to then, once they come to know Jesus, you get to walk with them and help them figure out all that following him looks like? Then not only that, here's the really cool part. One day you're going to get to heaven and you're going to look over and they're going to be there and you're going to be like, hey man, it's good to see you again. Now, I don't know exactly how that's going to work, by the way, but as God allows you to be a part of what he's doing, you're honoring the God who created the universe. What greater purpose could there be? So here's my challenge to you as you're looking at what's going on in December and in 2022 is remain in his word. Show that you're his disciple. Hold on to what's real. And as you do, walk in freedom. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. 
with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to think for just a minute. You know, a, a lot of churches have moved away from doing a public invitation. We, we still like to do this mainly because I know what's going to happen as soon as we say amen and you guys start walking out the door. All of your plans for the week come flooding in. So if you're going to remain in his word, then what I need you to do is take these next two minutes. That's what we're going to give you unless God does something different. Take these next two minutes to figure out which of these three is it that you're struggling with. Am I not showing that I'm his disciple? Am I not holding on to what's real? Am I not walking in freedom? If I'm not doing that, then I'm not remaining in his word like he told me to. So why don't you just take just a moment, identify one thing that needs to change this week, needs to change this afternoon, needs to change when you get to the dorm, to the apartment, to class, to work, to the doctor's office, to wherever you're going to be this week. What does this look like? And I want you to take just this next. We'll give you one more minute. Say, all right, God, I know that I need to walk in your word. I need to remain in your word. So I'm committing this week to do this as a demonstration. And if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that's where you start. Say, God, I want to put my life in your control and in your hands. I'm going to stop talking and let you do business with God, and then I'll close this up in prayer in just a minute.